0: If you got a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter four. I'm going to dive in today. Ephesians chapter four is where we're going to be. We're continuing on in a series that we have called Odd is Good. The reason we're calling that is because if you go through the book of Ephesians, you go to one, two, and three, those first three chapters, and you realize kind of what the church in Ephesus realized, that that God is odd, that he does things that you would not imagine he would do. And that because of who he is and who we are, the way we should actually live our life should be odd in relation to the fact that that God does some odd things and odd in the best way possible. And he calls us to this life based off of who he is and now who we are because of that, to live a different life that doesn't just fit in, that doesn't just blend in, but is actually something different. Paul kind of hits the fulcrum of his letter to the church in Ephesus and then to us as a church in McDonough. And he says, if this is really who you are, if this is really your identity, then walk in a way that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Live out of that identity in your new activity. But he makes it pertinent that they understand that who you are, comes before what you do. And so if you got a Bible, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Let's lean in and read the word of the Lord together. Ephesians 4, we're going to go 1 through verse uh, 10 here. As a prison for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given. These are our verses for today. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so to unpack and kind of make sure we're all on the same page and we're tracking with what's going on here. Paul is a guy who is in prison. He is commissioned by God to go out and and start churches, to start this movement that would be Christianity. And a specific part of Paul's call is that he would be one who bridges the gap between the Jew and Gentile people that this racial divide along Jew and Gentile would now be broken down and they would be one in Christ. And what Paul has just got through doing in those first few verses that we read, when you hear all those one faith, one spirit, one baptism, one family, one father, one son, when you hear all that, it's Paul going to great lengths so that all the people understand that we are one in Christ. And the father we have is the father of all. And he works through all and in all, and he's above all. He's trying to get them to understand all of those aspects that it is by Jesus and his love and his grace that we have now been given this unity. But he goes from there and he takes it kind of this step further in verse seven because he moves from talking about the collective whole to now breaking it up into each one. So he moves from the one to the each one when he says grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See what happened? what's happening here is not only is he saying that We have been in Jesus given this gift of unity. We've been unified through the blood of Christ, through our faith in Christ. We've been unified to the father to where now it's not just God is kind of out there and we're kind of out here and God isn't mad at us anymore, but now we're one with the father. And now that we're one with the father, we're also one with each other. But he says, that grace gift that made it possible for you to have unity with God and unity with each other, it does not just stop there. It is also a gift of grace that he gives you your own unique spiritual gifts that help this unity actually take place. So it's Jesus saying, my body was broken so that you could receive unity. Through my bloodshed on the cross, I purchased your spiritual gift so that now through living out your gifts, my body can remain unbroken because my grace is working through you. That's something to kind of wrap our minds around. And he goes, to great links later in other letters they wrote to churches to explain some of these spiritual gifts because that's kind of what we're going to lean into today this idea of gifts. I don't know where your mind goes there when you start thinking about what am I gifted at? Where is it? what is my spiritual gift? Sometimes maybe some of you who maybe grew up in more charismatic churches, you grew up in churches where like there were gifts and there were really only two. And if you had them, you were good to go. And if you didn't have those two gifts, whether it was speaking in a certain Uh, language or if it was some sort of healing, then you really didn't have the Holy Spirit because you didn't have those gifts. And some of you, you've been made to feel like you were less than because your gifts weren't the ones that were the ones that were out in front of everybody. Maybe you've never even thought about this, but the point that Paul is trying to make here to the church in Ephesus and the church here in McDonough is that if you are in Christ, what this means is that grace has been given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And what this is saying is that every single one of us has a spiritual gift. In the New Testament, there's a few lists, there's probably three primary lists throughout the New Testament that kind of explain some of these spiritual gifts. Some people think that those lists are exhaustive. Like if you, it's these lists and no more, I would say that there's only 20 of them. So I, I don't wanna limit the Holy Spirit. I don't wanna limit God to 20 gifts that he could give people. I think as um, the world grows and changes, maybe there's 20 kind of veins of these gifts and they find themselves expressed out in more and more different ways. But some of these gifts, just to kind of give you a list so you know what in the world we're even talking about are things like leadership, teaching, the spiritual gift of mercy, spiritual gift of hospitality, the gift of wisdom, discernment, the gift of giving, faith, compassion, the gift of apostleship, or the gift of evangelism. Raise your hand. I just want to kind of know who I'm talking to. And online, you can put it in the comments here. And if you know it, you can even write it online in the comments. But raise your hand if you've ever taken a spiritual gift test. Okay, look, around. I'm actually impressed I'm spiritually mature in people. Um, raise your hand if you actually did something with it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hopefully, well, that's good. That's good that you've actually explored that and tried to figure that out. That's, that, that's awesome. So what that was doing was trying to help you get to the place where you could kind of grasp what in the world was going on there. And the reason that Paul is going here is he spends in chapter four, he takes verses one through six, and he's doing everything he can to help them understand that they have been unified, that they are one. And so act like you're one. And then in verse six through 17, what he's doing, he's trying to help them understand that you have been unified, but you're also diverse. He's trying to help them understand unified diversity. And those are two words that I'm hoping become two identifying characteristics for McDonough Christian Church. That when you think about what makes McDonough Christian Church so different, so odd, it would be there is unified diversity there. That there are people who look different, think different, act different, vote different, earn a different amount of money and come from different backgrounds and nationalities, even places all around the globe. But what is wild about them is they're actually unified. They actually get along. They, they actually use their gifts to serve their body. They don't wish that everybody was the same and uniform. They actually leverage their diversity for the sake of the gospel being shown. So that this manifold, this multicultural, multicolor, this multi-dimensional representation of the gospel on display through God's people actually gets put on display. And it doesn't become our weakness. It becomes one of our greatest strengths when we remain in Christ with it. And what Paul is doing here, don't miss the order here. Things get really bad, not just in churches, but in families uh, in workplaces. When we get these two out of order, When we say my diversity or my unique gift is the primary thing and everybody else should maintain their unity based around my thing. Paul goes to great lengths to put these in order, I think on purpose to say, we've got to remember that we're one. And when you grasp that, then you can get to the place where you actually start grasping what is your unique gift and how can God use that within the body of Christ? The good news here is our identity in Christ Means that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And the good news here is like, when we think about God and how he bestows our gifts, he doesn't do it like we're just an anthill. So I think some of us, maybe we have a view of God like that. Like he just looks down and it's just an anthill. If you ever kicked an anthill, you don't really notice anything different from one ant to the other, do you? It's just all ants you just try not to get bit. And that's not the way God looks down on humanity. And that's definitely not the way he gives gifts. He knows all of your uniqueness. He knows exactly who you are and he gives gifts based on that. He, he, that's why he says um, in, in the verse, he says, it is all given to the measure Christ. Christ is the one who measure out. They're Christ's gifts that he gives to us. And it's a unique measurement based off of you. So to go back to the shoes analogy, one of the things we've been you know, walking through and trying to help ourselves give us a metaphor to kind of lean into, we've talked a lot about the shoes. And how in Christ is us being able to walk in his righteousness to put on his righteousness. And the unique measure is his measurements for your righteousness, his measurements for your gifts to be put on display, not for your good or your glory, but so that you could serve the church. So what Paul does here is he explains that just because we have unity does not mean that you're going to have to lose your personal identity. That how God wired you and how God made you is something he actually wants to use greatly through you. And... Part of the reason why I think this is um, hard for us to understand is we don't get this word grace. So Ephesians 4, 7, verse we're on, he says, the grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, oftentimes we can have a very one-dimensional view of grace. We just think grace is this thing that saved me. And we sing a song, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, the grace that saved a wretch like me but that's a one-dimensional view of God's grace. It's not just the grace that saves you. If you read through the scriptures, you definitely see salvation talked about and grace connected to it. It is grace, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. That's, a, you know, that's in there. But what you also see is that over and over again, there is this talk of this sustaining grace and this grace that helps us be able to serve. So grace is multifaceted. There is both saving grace and then serving and sustaining grace. And when... Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's saying these words to him where he says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. He's not talking about the grace that made them alive in Christ. He's talking about the grace, the again, unmerited favor of Jesus to give them this gift so that they can live out this life calling that he has put in them. And it's what sustains them. It's what keeps them going. So if this is true, that we have saving grace and sustaining grace, and it's been given to us and it's been given accorded to Christ's gift, then that means a few things. There's a few things that that means that we have to take note of. First of all, it means that none of us can opt out of this gift. Remember, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. And so when he says this, each one of us, he's not writing the letter to the Ephesians so that they could go stand up in the, in the, in the street corner and preach this to everybody. So the us there is not the general us as like the entire population. The us there is those who are in Christ, those who are in the church. And so this is kind of an insider message where he's saying, hey, those of you who are in Christ, you have this gift and it's been given to you. And if there's something that Christ has given to you, that means you can't opt out of it. You can't choose, oh, well, I don't want that thing. I don't want to use that. I just want to kind of come and sit and just kind of you know, be, a, be a part of something. No, you've been given this. And I would say, I would dare say your knee-jerk reaction being that I don't want any part of that or I don't want to use that or I don't want to utilize that, I would make, maybe question whether or not you're in Christ. If you're really in Christ, you really understand what he has done for us, what he's done for you, what he's done for me, then there becomes this deep heart longing to utilize the breath that makes the life that he gave you possible to be able to use it. The next thing is it means that you should never have a time in your life where you think that you don't have anything to offer, whether that's the church, whether that's your family, whether that's friends, whether that's the people you work with, if this verse is true, that he has given us this grace gift and he has done it according to his measures, then every single person here, you have something to offer. You have something to offer the body of Christ here as the church, because the church, the church exists in two functions. It, it exists as church gathered. That's what's happening right now at a church gathering. And then it exists as a church scattered in the world. For the church gathered, you do serve a purpose and you are called to be part of someone who has something to offer. Around here, we talk at our uh, connecting point lunches and we, we talk about how there's deep inside of the human heart, there's really two primary needs. And I think God put them there on purpose. There is a desire to be known, to know that somebody knows my name, knows my unique story, and they really do know me and accept me for who I am. That's, I think God hardwired that inside of us. Along with that, there's also a desire inside of us to be needed. That we want to know that I bring something to the table. I add something. And to have people on the other end go, hey, we have a really big mission. And the only way we can accomplish this really big mission that God has given us is if you help and you contribute to this. And you've maybe experienced this, maybe not at church, but maybe at a job interview. You ever gone to a job interview and it wasn't one of those ones you bombed and you just went home and they're like, hey, we'll be in touch. And they were never in touch. But one of those ones where you go to that job interview and you just nail it. Like you, like you just, you do an amazing job. You're just, you're just riffing off of stuff and you just, you just, you crush the job interview. And like, you can already tell before it's even over, they're like, okay, we're definitely gonna be in touch, man. i really like how things went today. And you're just, you're feeling on it. Then they send you that email and they're like, we think you would just be a valuable addition to our team. And they're just, just talking about all the ways that they think you're gonna fit in and how you contribute and all those other types of things. Listen, even if you don't want that job, what do you feel? You feel good. Like, man, there's something special about being needed, wanted. Like there, I, there, there's somebody who wants me to be a part of this. Well, that's how you should feel about the local church. And forgive us, my team, the elders and everybody else, if we haven't made that apparent enough to say, we really do have a really big mission. And it is really impossible for us to be able to accomplish it without everybody's help. And this is why um, you've heard me talk about this a little bit already. This is why we have a church and and really the the, the whole people who would call MCC home and would say, this is my faith family. We've got to get in this place because if we have really this spiritual gift, we've got to move from being consumers to contributors. And I'm not just talking about giving. I know a lot of times you think contributor and our minds immediately go to, oh, that means I got to start tithing. He's about to get on this money rant. Hold up, stop. Wait a minute. Hold your purses. I'm not going there. You have a spiritual gift. And some of you, your spiritual gift may be to give. I don't think that you you can't go, well, I'm not going to tithe because my spiritual gift isn't to give or I'm not going to give because that's not my spiritual gift. I don't think that's, you know. Again, giving is between you and God. You should give out of the abundance of the joy in your heart. But at the end of the day, friend, I don't want to make that excuse between you. I don't don't want to, that's not going to be my excuse between God to go like, it wasn't my gift. So I kept all my money and bought a jet ski. Um, (laughs) Maybe not, not a good look. I wouldn't recommend that. What I'm talking about is if you really do have a spiritual gift and I believe you do, I, I don't, I believe God's word is true. Then that gift is to be used to contribute, to serve the local body of Christ is to reach out to, and to serve the, the global body of Christ too. So what this means is maybe we start thinking about how we come to church differently. Now, oftentimes we can think, okay, well, I come to church and because we go to movie theaters and we go to concerts and we see things on screen and we go to places and we get an experience and we go home. And again, I know some of the aspects of what we do as a church. If you're just one of the person who kind of comes and sit in a chair and goes, it can kind of feel like that. It doesn't feel like that for the person who got up early and got in here and made coffee this morning. It doesn't seem seem like that for the band who showed up at 6 a.m. It doesn't feel like that at all for the lady down there who's wiping a kid's butt who just got dedicated. It does not feel like that for them. They know that they're contributing today. And the question is, is there a way for even the people who don't have a volunteer role, who aren't wearing a t-shirt, who aren't plugged into an amplifier up here, is there a way for every single person who does celebrate as we gather together and kind of have this prodigal party every Sunday, is there a way for you to actually feel like you contributed something when you show up here and you didn't just be someone who consumed a message, some songs, some childcare, some coffee? even donuts. We go above and beyond. (laughs) I think there is. And so what I want to challenge you to do is to start thinking about how you gather together with your church family. Start thinking about it less as a consumer. Now, again, that's going to be hard because the world has hardwired you to be a consumer. You walk into Target and it revolves around you. You go to Sky Zone. It revolves around you. You go to the movie theater and it revolves around you. This place revolves around Jesus though. So what this means is maybe we, we get in the car and we go, okay, I'm not serving necessarily today, but who can I serve? Can I, can I see a teenager in the hallway and they're fully dressed and they're holding a Bible. Can I just give them a high five? I'm like, dude, look, look at you. You got a real Bible, you got clothes on. You're, you, look at you, man. Way to go, dude. You know, the, the, the band, they show up on Thursday night and they go through rehearsal and then they show up here again really early on Sundays. And, and, and there's, there's a couple of people up here like Eric and... and, and, and um, Colin, they, they do some things and, and they get a little bit of, of money. They're pastors on our staff, but the rest of the team that's up here, they're just doing it out of the goodness of their heart and their generosity to, to love and use their gifts. So to go to them and go, high five, man. Uh, my friend that I invited to church, the first song they ever sang to Jesus, you were on mic. Thank you for that. To, to walk down the halls in children's ministry, and we're not gonna, because of the security side of things, we're not just gonna let you roam the halls and go by every room and just start high-fiving people and thank you. You know, you do that, you're gonna get, you know, put in handcuffs or something. Um, but to, to, to peek into where like the little check-in area is and just tell those people who are working check-in and just go, hey, thank you guys for what you're doing down here. I really, I can't, I can't tell you how much I appreciate what you're doing. Then before you go grab coffee, when, when you go get the coffee, instead of just grabbing the coffee like she's a barista at Starbucks that you don't really care about, go, hey, thank you for getting up so early. I, we got to church late because I wasn't able to get coffee and this is making my day. Like I'll be able to have Trent not put me to sleep because you made this for me. <laughs> Thank you, thank you for that. Like, again, I, some of that sounds small, but it's it's this it's this uh, shift in our approach to showing up to gather together as a local family, where we go, okay, I do have spiritual gifts. Maybe my gift is is, is teaching, encouragement. But like, I've got to think about even the way I show up and moving from a place because if I have my gift, my gift is not to consume. There's no spiritual gift that's like you're just going to be really good at consuming things. That's in the, I've looked at all the lists. None of them are there. Every one of the gifts is mentioned in the context of the local body of Christ. And all of those gifts have to do with serving and giving out. Sometimes I have people come to me and they're like, Hey, I'm not hearing from Jesus. And I'm like, my, one of my go-to questions is, are you serving? And I'm not just talking about it in a church. Are you ser- like, what are you doing to serve? And the reason I ask that question is because I know the times in my life when I'm most pouring out, the times I know that Jesus is speaking to me and talking to me and working with me because he's the very same Jesus who in Mark ten forty five said, the son of man has not come to be served, to consume. He says that I'm not the son of man who has come to be served. I've come to serve. I've come to contribute. I've come to even a step further. I've come to lay my life down as a ransom for many. And so again, track with me here, just let's be logical together if that's the Jesus we want to talk to us and that's his character, when he had, he could have said anything about who he was, when he wanted people to know who the son of man, that person you want to talk to you, when he wanted people to know who he was, he said, though I could have, I did not come here to be served. I came here to serve and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. So who are the people I'm most chomping at the bit to talk to, to connect with, to encourage, to push along the people who are doing the exact same thing the people who are who, who show up at church and go, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. I'm here to lay my life down. I'm here to plug my nose as a ransom for many. So these babies can have parents that go and get a break and can have an adult conversation and drink a cup of coffee without it getting cold and then have to put it in the microwave. All right? This this is what I'm after for us. So if you have a spiritual gift, it's you don't really have the option to go, ah, I just don't wanna use it. No, you have it. And... and don't think that there's not a place where you contribute. Another one of these things that if this is true, it means this, and this is super profound. Um, it means that these gifts are gifts. Okay, I told you, guys, that was profound, right? Um, I know, uh, uh, deep. <laughs> so these gifts are gifts, which means, again, uh, where's it that? Right? You know what that is? That little thing right there, that's an apostrophe. It's apostrophe S. That means that these gifts, they were, they were Christ's gifts, that he's the one who's given them. Sometimes I think we can think about our gifts like, I think the way we need to think about them is like when you were 16 and your parents were like, here's your car. Now we all knew what? The thing wasn't ours. They could take that back away from us anytime they wanted to take. You start doing something stupid. You start missing curfew. It ain't your car no more. You know, now you tell your buddies, look at my new car. You know, they paid for it. They pay the insurance. They're putting gas in it. Look at my car. You do something stupid. It's not your car anymore. It's kind of the same way. Jesus is going, yeah, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving, you, I'm giving it to you to steward your hospitality gift. So open your doors up and invite some people in. I'm giving you a teaching gift Start using it. I'm giving you a gift of evangelism. You have no problem walking up and talking to people. See, some of you have mislabeled your outgoingness. God has given you the gift of evangelism. You let the world label it as I'm outgoing. Let God label it. You have evangelism. Go talk to people about Jesus. You can talk to them about the weather. You you bark at people across parking lots and say, go dogs. Go Jesus. Go talk to them about something that matters. You have that gift. Go and use it. He's given it to you. And because they're gifts, that means that there's no boasting. You didn't make this happen. Now, Jesus may plant that seed in you and he leaves it to us to kind of cultivate that. But at the end of the day, it's his seed, it's his gift. And he's the one that put it there. Last thing I'll say on this is there's no, and this may be the most important thing here. There is no comparing. You see my gifts. You see the people that sing on stage gifts. You see the people that hang out with the kids or do stuff in student ministry, or you see somebody in your family and you see these different spiritual gifts and you can have this tendency to go like, oh man, what would I do for the kingdom of God if I could sing like that? I wish I didn't, my armpits didn't just turn to waterfalls when I get on stage and speak in front of people. If, if that didn't happen, I would, I would preach to thousands. You know, there's like really only one gift that the Bible is like, you probably don't want that one. And it's this one. It's like, you really need to think twice about that whole teaching thing. And see, that's, that's what's weird about our culture is the gifts that we elevate and we want to show up to be around. I think in other cultures really weren't as put on this pedestal. It's like in the culture to which Jesus uh, is inspiring Paul to write this, honestly, the hospitality gift would have probably been like the, the admirable one. They're an honor culture. Uh, like so much so to where it would be frowned, like none of us would, if some random person came and knocked on your door and said, hey, uh, my family is just passing through the area. We wanted to see if we could stay at your house none of us are going like, okay, what kind of bread do you like? You want some non-bread? You want some flatbread? You want some pita bread? Like, what kind of bread do you want? Like, none of us are are like, you know, you got any allergies, you know, gluten-free? What what are we talking about? None of us are asking those questions. We're going, I'm calling the police. Like, no, you're crazy. Get out of my, you know, we're not doing that. But in Paul's culture, it would have been dishonorable. Like if that stranger or alien shows up and they're they're knocking on your door, you're, you're bringing them in. And if they show up to one house, in the neighborhood, and they knock on that door, it wouldn't have been uncommon to go, oh, no, 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 okay, go three houses down because Lydia, she has that spiritual gift. And maybe you don't say it that way, but you know like, okay, there's, that's where you need to go. You're gonna, have, you're gonna be so blessed. You're gonna experience the love of God. Go three houses down, you're gonna experience the love of God. And maybe you got the gift of giving. So you're like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I know they had to you know, pay to have some food there. So I, I want to be generous. I want to help them. That's Look, that's you think that's crazy, but that's how the local church functioned. That's how the early church lived and breathed and operated. And the fastest, so hear me on this. The fastest way to undermine and never realize the full potential of the spiritual gift that God has given you is to compare it to other people's. He knows you. He knows exactly how you're wired and knows what you need and how he wants to use you. And if you want to miss out on all of that, wish you had mine, wish you had your neighbors, wish you had somebody else's, wish that your gift wasn't your gift. And that's gonna be your reality. Every single one of you have it, you have something. And it looked like most of you had already taken a test. So you kind of know what it is. Don't be like, oh, darn, I got giving. Uh, <laughs> like, don't think like that. You, if you're one of those people, you probably didn't anyway. Like, don't, you know, a oh, bummer. I got administration. Like I love Microsoft Excel. Like that's not what that means. It means that you let God move and work in your life in unique ways. And again, I think primarily he gives these gifts. His body was broken on the cross so that his body can be unified in diversity through our gifts being manifest in and amongst each other. So that's verse seven. Let's lean into um, verse eight. Paul does something pretty cool here. He actually goes back and quotes the Old Testament. He goes back and he quotes a verse out of Psalm 60. I think it's Psalm 68, verse 16 right here. Um, Psalm 68 is a Psalm that was inspired by God, written by King David. And what David is doing in this Psalm, Psalm 68, is he's recounting all the amazing things that God the Father has done in the past. I don't think David really understood this, but in Psalm 68, he's recounting all the amazing things that God the Father has done, but at the very same time, he's also prophesying to the amazing thing that God the Son will do in the future. And so he says here, and this is what he's using, um, he's quoting Psalm 68 to prove what he said in verse seven. He says, therefore, okay, this is why, therefore, therefore goes back to connects to verse seven. Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led a host, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. All right. So he's saying, okay, you guys remember that verse? And really he's talking to Gentiles. So I've kind of been questioning myself. Like, I think this is where Paul really meant for us to, it's like the Holy Spirit knew he's doing. Because I don't think a lot of the Gentile people in Ephesus would have necessarily even had context for what Paul was saying here, but Paul, remember, he's a Pharisee. He has all of this stuff in the Bible memorized, and he's going back, and he's, he's quoting this to them, and he knows that one day, even though the Ephesians don't have the whole canon of Scripture, one day we will, and we'll be able to look at that and go, oh, I know what Paul was saying here. He was quoting Psalm 68. Now, Psalm 68 is talking about what God has done in the past, but again, he's pointing this towards what Jesus has now done. See, the, the, the more spiritually mature. I'm not going to say deep. I'm going to say mature. The more spiritually mature you come, you realize that so much of the endeavor of understanding the Bible is learning how to read it backwards. To see what God says in the New Testament and go, okay, I'm going to connect this back to here and then see it all come to life and now live in color. Because everything in the Old Testament, there is a thin red strand that is Jesus that runs through the entire Old Testament that then connects with the New Testament. And this is one of those verses. So he says this, I'm going to kind of fast forward. I'm going to have to skip something. Oh, no, they did it. Way to go, guys. Okay, so verse nine. So he says this thing, he quotes this passage. Now he's explaining why he used that. He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, comma, the earth, all right? So this is where when I was reading this, at the beginning, you were like, man, we're talking about going up and down a whole lot. Like, what are we talking about here? Let me explain to you the best best that I can, all right? And it's not as complicated as it maybe looks, all right? So he says in verse seven, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men, all right? We know that Jesus didn't start out down here, right? He didn't just, he wasn't just born in Bethlehem. That was not his origin story. Jesus' origin story is he came from God. He was with God, as God, from all eternity is God, the son. God in his grand redemptive plan, sends him to earth in the womb of Mary. And he's born and he lives that life. And when it talks about when he ascended, it says, what does it mean that he also descended? This descension, okay? Track with me here again. I need you to put your theological and your your scriptural big boy pants on, big girl pants on. When it says he descended, what that's talking about is Jesus descended from heaven, came to earth and lived life life here. Now, we know what he did here, right? He walked the very same paths that you walk. He experienced the same temptation you felt. He has wrestled with the same struggles of rejection and betrayal and fear and anxiety. He's felt all of those things, but he walked this earth and remained righteous, remained completely unstained by the sin and the pain of this world. That's what he did, but he suffered death and punishment on a cross. God treated Jesus like we deserve to be treated on a cross so that we can be treated like Jesus And now what happens, and this is what he's saying, is that as he does this, he actually is able to give gifts to people. Now track with me. I'm gonna try to do my best to explain this. So Jesus leaves heaven, comes earth, descension. He dies for the sins of the whole entire world, is buried, put in a cross. He's resurrected. Now when he resurrects, he conquers what? Death. Death. Okay, now when you beat death, you have beat the thing that is the uttermost point to which all sin goes to. Because I don't know if you understand that about Satan. Satan is not just about getting you to sin. Satan knows that sin leads to death. That goes all the way back to Genesis. He said, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Sin leads to death. So Satan, when he sees the person addicted to drugs or alcohol, he doesn't go, I just want you to, you know, have a really bad addiction that lasts your whole entire life. He's okay with that. But really what he wants you to do is to overdose. He, he's, he's, he really wants you to have a fear-based and a shame-based identity so much so that you lose all hope in life. Now, he'd be okay with you to spend your whole life just completely and utterly depressed. But what he would much rather do is you to take a whole bottle of pills. He wants sin to lead to death. That's what he's really ultimately after. Now, when, Sa- when Satan does that, and that's how he's been operating on earth for all those years, post-fall, Jesus comes on the scene. He doesn't just defeat sin. He defeats what sin does. He defeats death. That's why we had to have a savior who could rise from the grave. So he rises from the grave and he doesn't just defeat death. He also defeats all the sin that goes with it. And there so, I think this is what this, this is why this verse came to life to me in a way I'd never understood it before. This is where he now has gifts to give us because he has... He has gone as a king, King Jesus. He has entered into foreign territory, planet earth, that was ruled by a hostile fake king, Satan. He has conquered Satan, the demons, and all their dark powers. And like a king who conquers a new territory, he takes all the spoils of war and he brings them back. As he ascends. Now, as a good king, this King Jesus doesn't just go, I have now conquered the whole entire world. I have conquered death, hell, and Hades. It's mine. Our good conquering King Jesus goes, I have conquered the world and with it come gifts. And these are the things that I will give to my people. So it kind of works like this. Greed leads to death. But when Satan tried to get Judas to sell his best friend out for 30 pieces of silver. He thought that that would be the price that would keep Jesus dead, but it wasn't. See, when Jesus goes to the cross and dies for our sins, he dies for what greed led to and will lead to. And so he conquers greed. And the spoils of conquering greed, track with me here. The spoils of conquering greed is now he has unlocked for me and you this ability to have this supernatural Holy Spirit inspired generosity to live on earth. Because again, you got to understand like this is big like cosmic stuff here. When Jesus dies and he resurrects and he goes to heaven, he promised that he was going to send his Holy Spirit to empower his people. The Holy Spirit of Jesus, this is the way we think about the Holy Spirit here at MCC. The Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. That's why Jesus said, it's for your good that I go, because I have to go so that the Holy Spirit can work in you and you and you and you and you and you, you, all of us. And what the Holy Spirit does is it brings spiritual gifts because it is the Holy Spirit. So these gifts, the gift of generosity, faith, teaching, these are all things that have now been unlocked because you now, redeemed by Christ, are a vessel in which God can live Okay, again, hopefully some of you eyes are finally being awakened right here. When you put faith in Christ, there's no way that you could have these spiritual gifts. So you may see somebody at work who's a Muslim or, or doesn't believe in God or some other crazy religion, and they just seem super generous. That's not the spiritual gift of generosity. That's the common grace of God working maybe on their life. In order to have the spiritual gift of generosity, you have to be washed clean by the blood of Christ and be reborn so that you can be a vessel in which his Holy Spirit can actually live, breathe, and operate. So fear gets killed at the cross so that now you can have the spiritual gift of being able to actually walk by faith through all the lies that you've ever believed, that we've ever believed. They're now conquered at the cross, conquered through the empty grave so that now the supernatural gift of teaching can actually be made manifest. And the, and the things that we teach are not lies anymore. We're actually teaching truth. The sin of confusion, of people, you know, picture Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. They're just confused. They're confused. Jesus dies for that, rises for that, and unlocks the potential for the Holy Spirit to give you this gift, this spoil of war of discernment. He goes and he dies for manipulation. The thing that he watched the Pharisees do to the people. He watched religion do and still do to many people. He dies for mal- manipulation. Manipulation so that he can put on display what true leadership is. And then his Holy Spirit can come and inspire us to actually live out. There is no, there is no type of leadership that is not servant leadership. That is the true, that is the only definition of leadership is servant leadership. And Jesus through being again, Mark ten forty five, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. Now you see what leadership looks like. It looks like laying your life down as a ransom for many. It looks like dying to yourself. It looks like taking up your cross and following me so that you can serve others. You want to figure, figure out where the first of the line is. It's at the very back of the line. You wanna figure out where greatness is. It's being a slave to all. He says, through what I've done, through coming to this earth, being treated like I was treated and conquering death, I've unlocked this for you. Our self-centeredness, he says now, now you can have a serving attitude. Where you were foolish, I've now unlocked wisdom. Where all rage filled the world and everybody wanted to cancel everybody else, I died for rage. I raged against rage through me submitting and like a sheep to slaughter, not opening my mouth so that now you can have patience. With all the slander and lies that are out there, I died for those too. So that now instead of speaking words that tear everybody down, you can have the spiritual gift of encouraging people with your words. I went to the cross and I, I died for cruelty. If you ever wanna see cruelty, look at what they're doing to me right now But this cruelty didn't end on the cross. There was a empty grave that came after it. And now I've unlocked the key for you to have the spiritual gift of mercy. You won't be able to have that gift if you receive the mercy that I've given you and not allowing my father to give you what you deserve. And instead, that father giving me what you deserve. See, when you begin to understand, I don't wanna get there yet. When you begin to understand that this is what spiritual gifts are, it changes things. Because, track with me here, don't miss this. Sometimes I think when we hear talk about spiritual gifts, we can think about it like God, like, like it's the Oprah Winfrey show. Track with me, trust me, I'm gonna get there. Like we read verses that say God is rich in grace. So we go, okay, well, if he's gonna give me spiritual gifts, God just sees us all out here and he's just got his spiritual gift bucket and he just kind of shakes it out over the world and what lands on me lands on me and what lands on you lands on you. And it's just this gift. And when you think it's just this God who's rich in mercy, who's just picking and choosing and giving these gifts out, then the sense of urgency to use this gift and have this gift utilized in my life for the sake of the gospel being spread, for the sake of lives being changed and families being different, generational curses being broken, that sense of urgency isn't there when you just think God's got plenty of them up there and if I waste mine, no big deal. But when you come to this place and you understand that your gifts happened because Jesus went into enemy territory and was killed in action, died to unlock those gifts, they're not just things that you have. They're things that were paid for. Jesus didn't just pay for your sin. He paid for your gift. And and, and this is, I never really grasped this. Like I was sitting in my office and it was before I kind of came to this place. This weekend, I was sitting in my office and it was a shorter week and I just was kind of going to this text and there's all this ascension and descension stuff and I'm really having a hard time wrapping my mind around it. And as we've been pounding through Ephesians, like it has been good for my heart. It's been good as I've been studying and going through it. But I'll be honest, like there've been times where I've just felt tired. It gets a lot to be able to preach this in a way that's actually um, exegetically correct, but at the same time, doesn't put you to sleep. And And I put my heart and my soul into this. And I came to this, um, you know, this past week, and I was just like, I'm tired. Like if we could just like fast forward to next week and I could just have, you know, whatever. Like if somebody just, if, if God, if some random dude just came up and said, um, I have a message to preach to MCT this week and he showed me what it was and it checked out. And I was like, okay, maybe we'll see what happens. And it was actually like good. Like I would be like, God, thank you. And I was praying and, and, and talking to God about that and just kind of honestly whining to him because I, I felt a little burned out. Um, and like, I just, I just didn't feel like I had anything worth talking to you about around this passage. And once I started to realize this, I feel like the Holy Spirit got in the room with me and just really opened my eyes. Because where, where I'm coming to this God and going, God, I'm, I'm tired and I, I don't know what to talk to him about this week. I feel like, you know, Jesus it's like, you know, I was really tired to carrying my, Christ, my, my cross up the hill called Calvary. I was worn out. And I, you remember the story, son. Um, I actually had to pull a guy out of the crowd to carry it for me. I was tired. I know what it's like to be tired. But son, in the same way that I know you're tired, I'm tired of my people believing lies. I, I, I'm tired of them believing half truths about their life. I'm tired of them being manipulated. And I, and I fought through my tiredness and I fought through until I breathed my last to unlock the gift of teaching for you, son. So it's okay that you're tired, but I still need you to teach because they still need the truth. And I'll work through you, I'll show it to you, I'll reveal what you need to see. And I don't know what that is for you. Like you've got your own gift, you've got your own thing. And I know like Jesus meets you in those moments where you may be tired, you may be frustrated, you may be bumping into those things where you're like, I, I don't know what to do here. But here, here's, what, here's what I can tell you. I would trade the encounter I had with Jesus in my office and him, and him going, son, go one more. I'll work through you. I, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And I unlocked the gift to be, able to be able to teach people truth through what looked like the weakest moment the world had ever seen as this person who was apparently God's son dying on a cursed cross. I can work through you too. I, I, like, if you told me that every Thursday, which is the day I put my message in stone, that's the day it goes off to the press, so to speak. If you told me that every Thursday, I, I would be at noon completely burnt knowing I had no idea what I was gonna talk about and that somewhere around 1.30, I was gonna have an encounter with God. I would take that every day of every week. And what what I'm saying to you is some of you right now, you're in that season where you're just tired. You're just wore out. You feel a sense of emptiness. You feel a sense where you're just burned a candle at both ends. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to meet you in the middle of your weakness and he wants to turn your weakness into strength. He wants to allow the gift that he's placed inside of you to begin to come out of you and come into fruition so that you can live actually a full life. And not just so that you feel like I'm full, I'm doing good things, but so that the church of God is made to seem as beautiful as she really is that it's, it's truly magnified in a way that, the, that God only can magnify it. Only in by uh, telling you a, a story. This, this medal right here is, um, today is a, a day where we remember some heroes. Today is obviously 9-11, if you didn't realize it yet. Um, this medal is the 9-11 Heroes Medal. It's a decoration in the United States created specifically to honor the 442 public safety officers who were killed in the line of duty during the September 11th. 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center in the Pentagon. And it was given by President Bush to those 442 families who had people in their family give their life to try to save other people on this day in 2001. Now imagine, if you will, a 16-year-old boy, a 16-year-old boy who is doing a lot of the stupid things that 16-year-old boys do. His parents have caught him doing some things he shouldn't or saying some things he shouldn't online. Uh, They've caught him uh, staying out past curfew. They caught him in a few lies. Nothing where the law has gotten involved yet, but both his parents feel like that could be any day now. They could get that call and the parents don't know what to do. And so mom decides to use the only card that she thinks she has left She says, son, I'm gonna check you out from school today and we're gonna go meet somebody that I've wanna introduce you to for many years. And he has no idea, he goes to school, has no idea what to do, you know, what's coming. He goes to school, she checks him out about one o'clock. Around one o'clock, they go to a park. They sit down at a a picnic table. After a couple minutes of him going, you know, why are we here? What are we doing? You know, acting like a jerk still, kinda. An older man, gray hair, slowly walks up and sits down at the bench. And mom is quiet and son's looking around, kind of giving his mom those eyes. that are like, what in the world is this? And the old man sits down and he pulls out of his pocket this medal and he lays it on the table. And he says, son, you don't know this story about your, your mom, but In 2001, she worked in the World Trade Center. In 2001, my son ran into that burning building and saw your your pregnant mother with you in her womb there. And my son did everything he could within his power to save your mom's life and he gave his life doing everything he could to save hers. And the reason I'm sitting here today with you son is because my son gave his life to save yours. And I have this medal to show for it, to show for his sacrifice for his willingness to lay down his life so that your moms could carry on and she could carry you. Now, son, I don't wanna get caught up in all the things that you have done and all the things that you have been doing, but I want to tell, tell you that a life was laid down so that you could live. Don't waste this life because it cost a life. And the old man stands up from the table and he walks away. Now, does that 16-year-old live different, knowing that a price was paid for his life? I hope he does. I'll, t- I'll say two things about that story. First, it's completely made up, so stop crying. Um, we should make a movie, right? Let's do it. Um, but but that's, that's your story. It doesn't have to do with twin towers or medals of honor. It has to do with a cross and a gift that, that, not a medal of honor, but that he could place on the outside of you, but a medal of honor that he placed on the inside of you that is your spiritual gift. To say, a life was paid for your life, so your life should look different. I, I, I allowed my son to give his life so that your life could be different, so that people could see my son, they would magnify, they would understand the truth and the hope, and they would understand the life that they have in him and how much of a gift it is, and they would use that gift so that other people could come into this family and be saved from fire. So as we receive communion, it's, that's the truth, that, that as you even put the gift of the bread and the gift of the juice into your mouth, you realize that, that accompanying these gifts is the gift of the spirit living and active inside of you. And I pray that you would maybe ask a a really big and bold prayer to Jesus today, something along the lines of Jesus, what is the gift you've been given, you have given me? And if you feel like you already know that, I I want you to ask this question. Jesus, what's stopping me from using my spiritual gift for your glory? And if he, if he gives you the glory or the grace of answering you that question, then it's on you to eliminate that. Whether it's fear, whether it's a, a relationship you shouldn't be in, whether it's something you own that really owns you. And then if you're really bold and brave, tell him from this moment forward, I will use my gift in light of The price it cost to give it to me from this day forward. Let's pray. Jesus, move in our hearts today. We thank you for your glory. We thank you for this gift. Nothing greater than the gift of your grace to us. Move in our hearts. Meet with your people. Let your kindness lead them to repentance. In your name,